Deuteronomy is a series of speeches that Moses gives. And in today's speech, he's telling them what to do when they enter the promised land that God is giving them. And Moses says, see, I set before you this day blessing and curse, a blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I am giving you today. The curse if you fail to obey the commands and turn from the way that I am giving you and follow gods that you have not known previously. When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you ought to proclaim the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curses On Mount Ebal, as you know, these mountains are beyond the Jordan, westward toward the setting sun in the region of the trees of Moray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. The other day I was researching my sermon as I normally do on SportsCenter. And I happen to know that, notice that perhaps the most dominant player in the national title uh, game on Monday night from Auburn announced that he was going to leave college and join professional football. But it's interesting, he made the announcement from his high school. It made me think about other announcements that have been made. And often the place that people choose to make the announcement is as significant or speaks as loudly as the announcement itself. So, for example, think how many politicians go to the steps of their state capitol building to announce uh, their run for office. Or think of reformers or other candidates who want to go in front of the Alamo and hold a press conference as they make an announcement. And national figures will sometimes go to uh, the Lincoln uh, Memorial or uh, the uh, the Mon- Washington Monument, and of course tomorrow we can't help but think of Martin Luther King, who uh, in front of uh, what we believe about our country, those monuments called us back to what is best about us. What he said was important. Where he said it was equally important. And so we get to Moses' speech today, and Moses says, now you're going to get pretty soon into the promised land. And when you get there, I want you to gather uh, between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal is an area uh, that contains what are called the trees of Moray, where we read in Genesis 12, Abraham came to. And it's a, it's a very famous place in their history already uh, that we know as Shechem. And Shechem is a place where a lot of things happened. And so it is a little bit like the Alamo, but it's also a little bit like Wounded Knee or other uh, disasters where poor decisions were made. Shechem had a rich history. And so at this place with this rich history, they're called to make a decision between blessing and curse. And the way they do it, according to Deuteronomy 27, uh, 16 chapters in the future, is they're going to put the tribes uh, that descend from the the sons of um, Jacob and his two wives, Rachel and Leah, on Mount Gerizim, uh, the exception being the oldest son, Reuben. And they will announce they'll be there for the blessings. Now, the other tribes of Jacob are going to be on Mount Ebal, and they're going to receive and hear the curses. And they're made up of the tribes from the sons uh, that Jacob had with wives outside of his marriage to Leah and Rachel through uh, the handmaidens, uh, Zilpah and and Bilhah. So it's almost like a picture when they get there that says, okay, here's your two ways of doing it. There's God's way, and then there's going to be your way. And at Shechem, you're between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, you are going to be called on to decide which way you want to go. 
this morning I thought I'd take you on a little trip through Shechem and let you see some of the decisions that were made there, some good ones and some not so good ones. The first time we run into Shechem in the Bible is Genesis 12:6, And what has happened is uh, Abraham comes from Ur the Chaldees and God calls to Abram and says, get up and follow me. And basically, I'll show you when you get there. And if you do that, I will give you descendants and make of you a great nation. So Abram sets out in faith and starts this journey. And as he comes from the Chaldees, apparently the first spot he hits in what we call the promised land is that area between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And we're told at Shechem that he builds an altar to God, which is a way of saying, God, I'm in it with you. You called me to follow. I don't even know where I'm going, but I'm following. Now, later, years later, his grandson, Jacob, will come to the same place at Shechem, according to Genesis 33. Uh, You may remember a little bit of Jacob's story. You may remember the ladder that comes down from heaven. He saw angels ascending, descending. Uh, He gets ready to go meet his brother Esau. He has tricked him earlier in their life. He thinks Esau wants to kill him. Uh, But before he goes to meet Esau, he wrestles with God or with the angel of God at the Jabbok River. After all this, he meets Esau. Esau doesn't want to kill him. So Jacob's able to go home, and he decides that home will be Shechem. And we're told in Genesis 33 that he goes to Shechem, he buys a plot of land, apparently also will build a well there, and then builds an altar to God as a way of saying, the covenant you made with my grandfather Abraham, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm following you. I will do what you tell me to do. So those were some good decisions at Shechem that Moses' people would have known about. As uh, we might say, sort of the presence of the ghosts of Abraham and uh, Jacob are there. But other things have happened at Shechem as well. In Genesis 34, um, when Jacob is settled there, his daughter, uh, Dinah, is assaulted, seduced. The Bible, the word can mean different things, by, by a man at Shechem who's in love with her. He takes advantage of her, then decides he wants to marry her. So Jacob's boys get together and they hatch a plan and they say, well, you know, we really couldn't let our sister marry into your family. You're not circumcised. So they said, okay, well, we'll be, uh, the guy that wants to marry Dinah says, I'll be circumcised. And they say, no, no, not you, not just you, every man in your village. So every man in the village uh, undergoes circumcision, which is a bit painful. And it puts them out of commission for a couple days. And while they're out of commission... Jacob's boys make the decision to go into the village at Shechem and kill everybody. I think the Bible's real clear here that two wrongs don't make a right. There's some bad decisions that happen at Shechem as well as the good decisions. And then one more decision happens in Shechem. Uh, Jacob's um, next to youngest boy, his very favorite boy, uh, son of Rachel, his name is Joseph. He loves Joseph so much, memory gives him a coat of many colors, and Joseph doesn't have to do the work the other brothers do. So one day Joseph goes out to Shechem to see how his brothers are doing with the sheep, and they decide there to kill him. And then they change their mind. They say, no, 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 we'll sell him into slavery, and we'll just tell our dad that he's dead. And they make a fateful decision at Shechem. And that's Shechem. And Moses is to gather people there with the ghosts of Abraham Jacob and Joseph and call people to say, are you going to follow God's way or not? And you'll find out what they did in Joshua 24 as it talks about the ceremony that happens when they entered the promised land. But what's interesting to me is this isn't the last time you hear of Shechem. 
if you go forward, what you find out is when the people have escaped um, from uh, Egypt under Moses' leadership, they enter the promised land. The whole time they've been carrying Joseph's bones with them. And they bury Joseph's bones where he was first betrayed by his brothers. They bury him in Shechem. And then later, after Moses dies, after Joshua leads in the promised land and dies, uh, the people have a series of leaders called judges. And the judge doesn't mean somebody wears a robe and sits on a bench. It means someone who delivers them, who helps them in their time of need. And uh, they get some good deliverers, and then they will disobey and things go bad. And after a good deliverer named Gideon dies, we need a new leader, a new de- uh, deliverer. And so there's a guy named Abimelech in Judges 9 who comes to Shechem and decides he wants to be the new leader. So to ensure that he's the leader, he kills the 70 people he think are, thinks are rivals to his leadership. 70 other candidates he thinks are in this field, and he kills every one of them and says to the people, I'm the only one left, don't you want to elect me king? And there at Shechem, the people make a very poor decision. They elect this murderer. As their king, and things do not go well for them. Well, let's go forward a few centuries. David puts Israel together as a country. They reach new heights under his son Solomon. The kingdom expands greatly. But Solomon has done some things that God had warned the people about in Deuteronomy. He said, you've got to be careful for kings because they'll tax you. They'll take your daughters. They'll really enslave you. They'll take advantage of you for their own benefits. And Solomon has done some of this. So when Solomon dies, his cabinet meets with his son, Rehoboam, at Shechem. And they say, look, here's a chance to make it right. Ease off on the people. Don't enslave them. Don't tax them heavily. Do it the way God called us to do it in Deuteronomy. And Rehoboam says, well, I'll think about it. Give me a couple days. And he consults his new cabinet, none of whom have any political experience. And they all say, now's the time to squash these ants. Double the taxes enslave more of them let them know you're the boss so at shechem two or three days later he says look i'm in charge now there's a new sheriff in town and it's going to be even worse well as you might well imagine the subjects of the king aren't real uh, thrilled to hear about that and so at that point there's a revolt and 10 of the tribes just leave just leave united israel they form a country later known as israel or samaria And leave this king with only Judah and Benjamin, Jerusalem, basically, as his kingdom. So they split. And where's the split happens? It happens in a bad decision at Shechem. One more. Now, this isn't in the Bible. Work with me a little bit. This is in Josephus. Josephus says that now after the people uh, divided then in their sin because they had terrible kings, the Assyrians conquered the northern ten tribes, the Babylonians conquered the southern two tribes, they were slaves, but the Persians set them free. And the Persians then said, you can go back and rebuild the temple. So under Nehemiah, they went back to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. Nehemiah was worried about the identity of the people, so he said, you know, really, we need to keep this in-house so we can figure out who we are and we follow God's ways. So he, he said, I don't want you to marry foreigners anymore. I just want you, let, let's keep it in-house while we get this thing straightened out. Well, the high priest's own grandson decides that he's bigger than Nehemiah. He can do whatever he wants, and he decides to marry a foreigner. And when, according to Josephus, Nehemiah says, that won't do, the guy leaves in revolt and travels, you guessed it, all the way from Jerusalem to Shechem, to Mount Gerizim, and builds a rival temple to the temple in Jerusalem in Gerizim. And so at Shechem, the nation gets split. At Shechem, the faith of the people gets split between two temples. 
lot of decisions made at Shechem. A few of them good, a lot of them not so good. But it's a place of decision. Now, what do we learn as we do this historical survey? Well, a couple things really jump out at me. The first one is this, that God intends that we make decisions. God intends that we have a free choice in where we go with our life. The way of God are our own way. And we, we get to make that choice. It's clear. Well, the rabbis put it this way. God would never have given us God's word if we didn't have the option of refusing it. Why would God even tell us if there were no option in the whole deal? We get to choose it. Dallas Willard puts it this way in the 21st century. Jesus believed in free choice so much he died for it. He let people kill him. Gave them the choice. They did it. Now you might say, well, didn't Paul use that word predestined a couple times? He does. But I think you need to understand the context in which Paul uses it. Paul uses it as if you choose A, then B is predestined. In other words, what Paul says in Romans 8 is if you choose to follow Jesus, what's predestined is you're going to become more and more like Jesus. Moses and Joshua say the same thing at Shechem. It's like if you choose to obey God, blessings are going to follow. That's just the way it works out. If you choose to disobey God, do your own thing, curses are going to follow. But you have the choice to decide whether or not to follow God or not. No one can take that choice away from you. And we have ample evidence of people during the Holocaust, and like uh, 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 Viktor Frankl writes about it, that they can take away everything, but you can still choose how you believe and, and what you will respond with inside. We always have that choice. So that's, that jumps out at me. The second thing is that oftentimes in North America, Protestant Christianity, we think our choice is just between us and Jesus. And that's all that really matters. It's a really private affair of ours. It's nobody else's business. And it really doesn't make much difference except maybe for our destiny, whether we get to go to heaven or not. That's not a biblical view. The biblical view is the choices you make affect you and affect the people around you. Make a good choice like Abraham, and an entire nation is formed at Shechem. Make a bad choice like King Rehoboam, and the nation splits in two. What you decide to do, God's way or your way, affects you, everybody who loves you, and people you don't even know. There's no private decision-making. In the Bible, your personal decisions have very public consequences. It's no wonder that in Gerizim and Ebal, two mountains in front of God and everybody, they shout out the blessings and curses because it affects everyone. And yet there's more. Take one little journey, one more journey with me. If you had a, a, a map of uh, the Old Testament days, Hebrew Bible days, and then you overlaid it with a map on the New Testament days, you would find something very interesting. The town that is called Shechem in the Old Testament, is located in almost the exact point, if not the exact point, of the town that's called Sychar, S-Y-C-H-A-R, in the New Testament. At Sychar is a well called Jacob's Well. It is near Mount Gerizim. And one day Jesus goes there and he's thirsty and there is a woman there in the middle of the day to get water. <laughs> oh, that's a clue. Something's wrong. Women never go to get water in the middle of the day. It's too hot. And to get water, it's not like wringing up a, a bucket, you know, cranking it, and the bucket goes down, bucket goes up. You're walking downstairs to the bottom of the well, and you're walking with the water all the way back up the stairs. So it's, it's early morning and, and evening work. The fact that this woman is there at noontime says that she's made some bad decisions. She has either been ostracized by the other women in the community, 
or she has just self-selected to ostracize uh, herself because of what she's done. And she's made some poor decisions. Jesus said she's been married many times, living with a guy she's not married with right now. She can't seem to get that right. Jesus talks to her, and she wants to talk to him about the temple on Mount Gerizim. Well, I know, I know, you guys, you, you think Jerusalem's a temple. We think Gerizim's a temple, and Jesus isn't going to have any of that. He's like, you know, if you only knew who was asking you for water, you'd ask him, and you'd have water that leads to life. Do you see what's going on here? A woman who's made bad decision after bad decision gets the opportunity to make the good decision and the right decision. And it will counteract and countermand and uh, mend every poor decision she's ever made. The Bible's clear that we make decisions, we're called on them, and that our decisions have consequences. But I believe also the Bible says that there's no poor decision that you can ever make that sinks you so completely that you never have a chance to make the right decision and get back on track. How many people have I met and you've met and they just think one bad decision ruined their life? Oh, if they hadn't only done that as a teenager, they'd have majored in something else at college. If they hadn't married this person, if they hadn't taken that job, if they hadn't lied about this on their resume and... And they act like one thing shot it all down. Jesus says one thing can bring it all back. One good decision. No matter where you are, no matter how many poor decisions you make, Shechem reminds us that you always have a chance to make that one right decision, which puts you back on the path toward the life of blessing that God has for you.